A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. So thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for critical thinking. That sound you hear is my voice. I'm Andrew Coppins. He is Pat Oney. Host of the Pat Oni Show, still on hiatus, but uh, eventually coming back some point in time. Uh, you can follow us on social media. Do not forget, you can watch the show on Rumble every single day. Just uh, search Critical Thinking there or rumble.com backslash critical thinking. You can go to criticalthinkingshow.com. Um, and of course, Pat, don't forget, people can also listen to the show via podcast on whatever podcasting platform they choose. So thank you to each and every one of you who have stuck around and, uh, you know, were there for us um, <clears throat> after the break that we had um, last week. Uh, we really appreciate each and every one of you joining us on Monday. But it is a truth or fiction Tuesday here on the show. So um, let's get down to brass tacks. And if you're new to the program, truth or fiction Tuesday is this simple. Pat and myself each get two, yes, two truth or fiction statements. We're going to make a statement. The other person has to decide whether that statement is truth or fiction. And of course, later on, we'll also play the B or not the B, which we forgot to play yesterday. But hey, we had a lot to get to. And and I do have to apologize. Um, Angry Andy came out a few times yesterday. But it is a deadly serious time. Also, sometimes we have to take some time to have a little bit of fun. So we'll do that later in the B or not the B segment. But Pat, hit us with your first Truth or fiction on this Truth or Fiction Tuesday. Before I do, um, I purposely stayed away from politics with with these today. Um, given that, do you want my sports one first or do you want the entertainment one first? Um, sports, please. For the love of all things holy. All righty then. Truth or fiction. 
The Dallas Cowboys threw up a dud the other night against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dak Prescott got hurt. Truth or fiction, given the uh, what we know about the Dallas Cowboys, this will be Mike McCarthy's last season with with the team. And the Cowboys will hire Sean Payton as their next head coach. Truth and fiction. What? Truth and fiction. Okay. So the first part is absolutely true. Mike McCarthy is not long for the job in Dallas. Um, now, we also know that Dak Prescott, the, the quarterback, is likely out at least six weeks here. So we're talking right. like maybe, maybe at best late, what, late October? Potentially early November before he's back. So we're talking mm-hmm. about at least half the season here that he's likely out. That's that's no point no for them because they need Dak to play well, to play well as a team. Um, right. But yeah, I, I, Jerry Jones won't put up with, with mediocrity, although he kind of has, right? I mean, think about it. The last time. So if you're 21 years old, Pat, mm-hmm. hell, if you are under 30, actually, I have to think about this. I think it's if you are under 30, you've never seen the Dallas Cowboys win a Super Bowl. At least 21, for sure, if not 25. So it's in the 25 to 30-year-old region. You have never nice. seen, and even if you are under 30, you likely, unless you were an insanely um, intuitive child like I was when it came to sports, you probably don't remember the last time the Cowboys won a Super Bowl. Was it 95? Yeah, it was 95. Because the Packers won, uh, went on to win in uh, the 96 season. So it had been the 97 Super Bowl. So, yeah, it would have been Cowboys, then Packers, then uh, Broncos. Broncos broke that that streak of Dallas, San Francisco, um, and uh, Green Bay winning. Um, yeah, I just, I don't, I I don't see Jerry Jones putting up with it. Mm-hmm. But I would I would also ask a very simple question: Who has put Mike McCarthy in this situation? Jerry Jones and his son. Mm-hmm. They're the GMs, right? They're the ones making the the hiring and firing decisions. They're the ones making the draft day decisions. The fact that Ezekiel Elliott has gone from one of the top four or five running backs in the league to just completely mediocre is unbelievable to me. The guy's what, 26, 27? Yeah, he's he's not what he was his rookie year. Not even close. He he, he has been on a a dramatic slide backwards since his rookie season. You look at that defense, they've got some nice parts on that defense, right? I mean, they did draft well, Micah Parsons and and some of those uh, types of players, but they haven't produced. So on the one hand, can I understand not getting rid of Mike or getting rid of Mike McCarthy? Yes, I can, because this is a lifeless program, if you will. The Cowboys have no life. 
They really don't. S- What's their identity? Mm. Name True. All, all, that's all a fair point. Subtruths are fiction here, though. With with Dak Prescott out, the the Cowboys will go after and trade for um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, truth, but they won't get him because would the 49ers trade him within the NFC? Mm, fair point. And there's also a fair chance that he could end up the starting quarterback for the 49ers by mid season. If, if things don't go well. Yeah. But I mean, Trey Lance looked good. You know, he, he really did. Um, so then the the fiction part of, of your statement is the Sean Payton thing. Mm. While I can understand the the thought process there for you, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see Sean Payton wanting to play ball with Jerry Jones. Um, I think Sean Payton wants to go to a place in which he can build and win. Um. And I don't think that's Dallas. I think Dallas is kind of akin to Nebraska in in college football. They're resting <laughs> on laurels of 20, 30 years ago. You know, and, and they haven't realized that they're mediocre. They haven't realized that their heyday is gone. And how do you bring it back? And for me, the only way that that gets brought back is the day that Jerry Jones is no longer involved in that in that organization because he is trying to play football like it's 30 years ago. Well, the game's changed in some ways it has in some ways it hasn't. I mean, if you take a look at uh, some of the most successful teams right now, it's the teams that can run the football first and they have an explosive wide receiver. Look at Minnesota beating green Bay this weekend, right? How do they do it? Dalvin cook, massive run game. Justin beat Jefferson. you on the offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. And then Justin Jefferson going wild. You look at um, look at the model of almost every team that won. Saquon Barkley, right? The run game with the New York Giants. And then uh, a, a few big pass plays. Look at the Green Bay Packers, who, you know, had some success with A.J. Dillon and, and Aaron Jones. And they missed the big plays in the pass game. That's how they got their ass kicked in week one. Will that change potentially over time? Um, you know, they had a chance in their very first play of that game. Christian watching uh, the rookie second rounder drops, you know, the very first pass of his NFL career. Um, that notwithstanding, that's my point, though, right? The, the, there's an identity to these teams. You look at Los Angeles, right? You look at the Rams, right? It's it's run game plus. Um, and it's defense plus. You don't see any sort of that identity. Is it the defense that runs that team? Is it the offense? It's not the defense. The defense was a problem, you know, in week one. So does Sean Payton want a part of that? Or does Sean Payton want to go somewhere where he can build? Or does he just not want to be a head coach anymore? I mean, he's a, he's, he was a head coach for almost, what, 15 years? Almost 20? All with New Orleans, I believe, right? Right. So I don't, I don't know what, where he would fit in. I think a Seattle might be a better proposition for him. Um, a Denver down the road, 
those types of an organization that that you can build an identity for yourself, right? Working in concert with a GM, working in concert with a competent GM. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But uh, very, very good questions. Pat. Very good questions on this Truth or Fiction Tuesday. Fair enough. I, I, I will give my quick answer here. I, I think this is truth and mostly true. I think, first of all, Mike McCarthy, I think, is done at the end of the season. The, the Philadelphia Eagles, I think, are going to run away with this, with this division this year. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised um, to see Washington uh, finish second in that division. Yeah, yeah that, that's, I think that's very possible. Mm-hmm. Very possible. Um, in fact, I could even see if, if the Giants actually stay healthy, I could see the Giants finishing third. Um, just just depending on how how the chips fall, I don't know. But Philadelphia will win that division hands down. So I think Mike McCarthy is probably done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just because you know they they fired Jason Garrett a couple of years ago, and then they bring in Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy hasn't really done any better. So it's the same, it's the same organization. It's the same structure. It's the same players. It's the same same offense. It's the same problems on defense. And then I think it's mostly true with Sean Payton only for the fact that I think that Dallas tries to get him. Does he take the job at the end of the day? I think that's where there's some debate here. I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole if I were Sean Payton. Wait, what? I wouldn't touch that job with a 10 foot pole. They could, they could entice me with a hundred million dollars and I wouldn't take it. Probably not, but I, you know, if, if Sean Payton wants to get back in the coaching game, it's like, well, where do you go that's going to fit the requirements that you're looking for? My actual thought was maybe Kansas City when Andy Reid retires, but yeah, that's possible. I don't know. I don't know, but it's it's uh, it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting NFL season for sure. Yeah, um, it I, already I was in week the, one. The Giants winning on the road in Tennessee and Minnesota shellacking Green Bay and, and yep. all that wonderful goodness. But uh, I, and my Ravens looked good. So against the Jets, I know it's it's the it's, same thing I told the Packer three, fans who want to jump off a cliff after week one. Look what happened three, in the first three weeks of last season, and look what happened at the end of the year, right? Yeah, but three big touchdown pass plays from Lamar Jackson um, made me feel pretty decent about our receiver core. And once Dobbins is healthy, I mean, our running game is going to be pretty strong, too. So, yeah, if you can continue to throw touchdowns to Rashad Bateman, I'd be very, very pleasantly happy. You have him on your fantasy football mm-hmm. team, don't Correct. you? Yeah, yeah. One of my three teams, yes. Uh, but with that, with all of that having been said, I, I want to return to the uh, the the horrible, no good, very bad thing called the economy. Oh, jeez. You, you had to go there after having a pleasant conversation about sports? Yep, I'm I'm your, your resident Debbie Downer. Yeah. Gee, thanks. No, no problem. Anytime. Anytime, Pat. I can just bring up your reds. Also, I can bring up my brewers who have crap the bed in the second half of the season but uh, you're, you're so, still somehow within the reach of the wild card you're you're, you're not making the playoffs I, I highly doubt it I mean we're only two games out though we'll see what happens here with the uh, two game set in St. Louis this week so uh. we'll see if they can win two games there if they can um, or win eight they split that series don't get swept there they have a good opportunity 
because they do play the Reds. They do play Miami. <laughs> I think they also have the Cubs left. Yeah, but the Padres, the Padres and the Phillies are actually doing fairly well. Yeah. And, We're only two games we'll back like the of the wild card though, so it just takes a uh, it just takes two slip-ups. You know. So it'll be interesting, but anywho, anywho, the the economy stupid. It's the economy stupid. You caught me stupid. Thank you for, for calling me stupid, you jackass. Oh, no, 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 no. That's just a generalized statement. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Truth or fiction? Jen Yellen is the worst uh, secretary of the treasury of all time. Why is that a question? It's not a question. I mean, it's a statement. Well, but Yeah, but. If anyone's questioning that at this point, you're doing life wrong. Mm. You're just doing it wrong. This well, is 100 percent truth. I'm glad I'm glad you believe that because I I also have further evidence of this being true. Oh boy, I bet you do. Inflation is way too high, and it's essential that we bring it down. And that's something that Americans feel every day. And I think it's what's causing uh, them tremendous distress. And, of course, that is President Biden's, our administration's uh, top economic priority to do that. But um, we're not in a recession. The labor market is exceptionally strong. The unemployment rate, extremely low. There are almost two job vacancies for every worker who's looking for a job. We've had an historically fast recovery of the labor market with um, around 10 million jobs created since President Biden took office. Look, I understand that you need to make a chicken salad out of a turd sandwich. Or chicken salad out of chicken bleep, right? I understand that that's part of the job here. But what is the saying that we have and hold strong on this show? Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. We're not in a recession. By every economic measure, we are. And oh, by the way, Pat, that two job openings for every person looking. Yeah. Yeah has already shrunk that number is from july yeah it has already shrunk to one job opening per person looking and small businesses throughout this country when surveyed over 65 percent of them are freezing hiring for the rest of the year because they are worried about what is to come in the economy they are worried about the costs of inflation to their business. See, this is the thing that Janet Yellen doesn't understand. If And modern monetary theory in practice, right? We've talked about this. For modern, for the theory to work, okay? For the theory to work, in theory, you have to do what? You have to be able to maintain full employment, right? You have to maintain full employment. And then you can spend whatever the hell you want. 
right? Because full employment will and high government spending will tamp down wage increases, right? Because once you start getting real wage increases, you start to ramp inflation back up because you necessarily have to inflate the value of the dollar because the value of that wage goes further when real wage growth happens, right? So like if you if you went from earning real wages of $15 an hour to real wages of 19 or $20 an hour, right? Real income increases, not on paper, but you earn an extra four or $5 an hour. That necessarily means that you have more buying power in the broader economy. But for modern monetary theory practices, it has to be full employment and massive government spending to artificially inflate inflation, right? The problem that we're having right now is that we have both full employment, right? High government spending, but but not artificial inflation real inflation. We don't have artificial inflation vis-a-vis just government spending. See, the problem is that we also have the third rail that modern monetary theory never wants to talk about, and that is the inflation of the monetary supply, right? Right. This is also the same... Um. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, Pat, who has railed and told us that um, we must become the green economy to get out of this inflationary period. My argument with the green economy here, Pat, and my argument with the climate change alarmists and the EVs for everybody group is that government cannot artificially create this economy, but yet they're attempting to. Anytime we have artificially created an economy, it has failed. On any level, anywhere in the world, by the way. Look at what, look at what is going on in China right now. They're literally stealing your <clears throat> property They're literally stealing your assets, a.k.a. your bank account. It is now state property. They're literally failing so hard at at that planned, that that, um, stakeholder capitalism that exists in China, right? A.k.a. the communism. But with elements of the free market at work, right? All of it's still controlled by the state. That's the stakeholder in stakeholder capitalism, by the way. The state. Okay? I hope you understand that out there. Everywhere in the world that this has been tried, is being tried, is in practice. It is failing or has completely and utterly failed in the past. You cannot force the market to do something that it is not capable of doing. We are attempting to force the market to produce a good that we don't have enough material to produce in the world. Period, point blank. 
And we've talked about this. What is it? 18 times the amount of cobalt, nine times this, uh, the nine times the amount of lithium that exists in the world today, 18 times the amount of cobalt that is being produced. And by the way, the projections of those who pay attention to production and um, extraction of those rare earth minerals like lithium point to the fact that um, if we tried to switch off every vehicle and switch it to electric today, if we did that, every vehicle that's on the road in the world today, if we did it, we would have no more lithium available in the entire world. None. We wouldn't be able to... We. This is not a renewable thing. Okay, This is a finite resource. So you are replacing one finite resource, which is oil, natural gas, right? Those are finite resources. We, we don't know how finite it is because we haven't explored it to the ends of the earth. But we also know that lithium is a thing that you can test for and understand. And, and what do we have? Right? We have we we have somebody attempting to plan an economy that can't work in the future. You might be able to do something right now and turn 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 it on, but can you sustain it going forward? That has been my issue all along. This is you're attempting to use renewable sources of energy, right? That are based off of non-renewable sources of production. And it is not sustainable going forward. The whole point of renewable, if it is truly renewable, right, it should be sustainable going forward. You shouldn't have an issue putting together an ecosystem, if you will, right? It is partly why I believe that being able to use solar power in conjunction with regular power, right, is a good way to heat your home, to put yourself off of the grid, to do those types of things. You can do that, but it is not a catch-all for everybody because we have finite resources available to us. The only truly renewable source of energy that we know about today, Pat, that we have available to the human mind is what? I'm guessing it's going to be wind. No. No. It's nuclear. Oh, well, yeah, you're right. Nuclear nuclear as well. Uh-huh. Nuclear is the only truly be truly renewable source of energy that we actually have. How do we know that? Yes, it has a shelf life, right? Each cycle of that nuclear power plant, each uh I think it's what, 10, 15, 20 years, there's a half-life available to use. And then you drain it and you reproduce it. Right? You store right. it, you reproduce it, you rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, and you can do it safely. It is the only of all the sources that we talk about that is truly 100% renewable is that source of energy. Wind, See, water, forget. solar are not renewable sources of energy. See, I always forget about nuclear just for the sake of not very many people talk about it. It is our solution to our energy grid problems. It is that solution because it is stable, it is safe, 
it is clean, this would be the thing that would get us out of it. That would allow us the the runway to fix the other parts of the energy infrastructure that are broken. The the blackouts happening in California, the blackouts happening in Texas, the brownouts, the the vulnerability to EMPs. Okay. Having that renewable, truly renewable source of energy in conjunction with other parts of the clean energy would be a path forward. It would be. But they're unwilling to do so. And the only reason I am talking about this is because we have an energy, we have a treasury secretary who wants to shove the Green New Deal and green energy as a byproduct of modern monetary theory down our throats. Yet, tells us to our face we're not in the middle of a recession when every other economic indicator says otherwise. Every other, the only thing that she can point to is employment, right? That's it. And I will give her this. Yes, we are close to full employment. Full employment being around 3%. We're at about 4.3% unemployment. It is a healthy number, okay? Because it means that we are we have a lot of openings that can be filled by people that want to switch and change and move industries and do all of that sort of stuff. That's healthy. But that is the only part of the economy that is healthy. And furthermore, it is only healthy Because, why? Because we artificially deflated our economy in our job market, in our labor market, for two years, basically. Vis-a-vis subsidizing, not being able to work, the PPP program, shutting down the economy for two months in, in 2021, or in 2020, excuse me. Yes, there's naturally going to be some recovery of that. And that means that businesses, when they want to continue, are going to have to hire. But you're missing the point of the inflationary issue. The inflationary issue, as she tells us it's real, is almost put on the back burner. We have to we have to look at the rest of it as if we're not in a recession. But yet every indicator of what is coming what the people who have the capital are doing with the capital says what? They're putting it in stable long-term investment products like real estate, right, Pat? They're putting it in other parts. They're not using capital to reinvigorate the labor market, it is artificial. That number is artificial in so much as we had a major hole that we had to fill. Now that that hole is filled, what is going to happen going forward? And in my next truth or fiction, will further this, okay? It will further my argument. 
you want to put a little uh, bow on this topic in in your thoughts as we talk about recession? How I mean, how idiotic, and more importantly, how dumb do they think we are? I mean, th- th- this was gaslighting at its finest, right? I mean, th- this this is what this administration is known for at this point. is It's the gaslighting administration, in, in my mind. Now, th- there isn't a single person within this administration that hasn't done it to some degree or another. Um, I also find it because, you know, we're talking about energy prices in, in t- terms of, you know, the economy and then, you know, Janet Yellen's comments. She also said recently that uh, gas prices could spike again this year. Um, and, and, and that's the thing is this is like, you know, everyone's touting like on how much how much gas has gone down over the last couple of months. We're still higher. A lot of places are still higher than what they were a year ago. We're not yeah, really by almost two anything. bucks a gallon. Right. Yeah. We're not really saving. I mean, I was just in Ohio last week. It was like three fifty something there. It is still about four thirty, four twenty-five here in the city of Utah. Yeah, it's so it four fifty-three when I filled up at Costco yesterday here, and that's the lowest that we've paid in the city in about a year. Okay. Right, right. So and I understand that. That, that four twenty-five is also, I think, like the lowest I've paid in a long time as well. But so it's but, but that's like that's like saying, um, oh, guess what? Um, we lowered the price by thirty cents, right? Right. Except for we didn't tell you that we've raised the price by 100% prior to that. So really, you're paying 70% more than you paid two years ago. Correct. And, and it's just... Again, it, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Tell me it's raining. You're right, right. It's, that, that is essentially where I'm going with this, is that this is this is the gaslighting at its finest. This is... They're, they're going to continue to do this, and they're going to browbeat us with this over our heads. And... Oh, and I forgot to tell you, Pat, forgot to tell you this. Did you know that Americans last year, they spent more on taxes, more on taxes than they did on food, healthcare, education, and clothing combined. So all the necessities of life, basically, Uh they spent more on taxes than that. Well, I I mean, there, there are two absolute truths in life, death and taxes. <clears throat> According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, by the way, taxes accounted for 25% of average consumer spending. 25%, a full quarter of what you spent last year was on taxes. And tell me tell me again how taxation is not theft. If you are spending more in taxes than 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 the basic necessities of life, tell me how that is not theft. Right. And on top of that, Pat, when we hit inflation and you're paying more in taxes than you are on the other household goods, right? That is burdensome. <laughs> that is a problem. You are burdening the American people with more and more debt. They spent, on average, more than $16,000 in taxes last year, okay? The mean for total spending per unit, so consumer unit, on healthcare, food, education, and clothing was $16,721, including an average of $8,200 on food, $5,400 on healthcare, 
$1,200 in education and $1,754 on apparel. The mean for total spending per unit on taxes was about the same, but more. $16,729 versus $16,721, including $8,500 in federal income tax, $2,500 in state and local, $2,475 in property taxes, and $5,500 in Social Security deductions, another $105 in other taxes, offset by an average stimulus payment of $2,500. So if you were to take away the stimulus, right? If you took away the stimulus, <clears throat> we would have spent $2,500 more on average in taxes than we would have spent on everything else that are the necessities of living in American life. So housing was still the most expensive part of the consumer unit, by the way, which isn't surprising. Mm -hmm. But how, how, how much different? Pat, do you think? How much more did they spend than they did on on taxes? Right? Again, taxes was sixteen seven twenty nine. Uh just just in housing? Yep. And is that by the way, is that is that other number with taxes, is that by month or by year? That's the year. Okay. What do you um, think the difference would be? I'm just going to throw out a, a number. I, I'm going to go with a couple thousand at least. Yeah, only eight thousand dollars difference. Yeah, yeah. That is a that bad, massive way. problem. Is that bad? That's bad, Pat. Yeah. Okay. And on that note, I, I think it's time to have a little bit of fun. Are you ready to play the B or not the B? Oh, I'm so ready. Please, can we can we please just go to that now? All right. The Beer Not the Bees headline today is Neighborhood Facebook Group provides helpful warning that some teenagers are outside skateboarding. Neighborhood Facebook Group provides helpful warning that some teenagers are outside skateboarding. And while you are thinking about that, folks, if you are looking to make a change in your housing situation and uh, you are in Chicago or elsewhere, by the way, if you are here in Chicago or the Chicagoland area, I would be glad to help you, Andrew Coppins, realtor, licensed here in Illinois. I would be glad to help you uh, find that home, uh, get you out of Chicago, get you into Chicago, whatever is going on in your life. Um, we all know that uh, things are getting interesting here. So um, if you're looking to make a change, hit me up. And more importantly, if you don't trust a real estate agent, if you don't have somebody that you do trust in the industry, I highly suggest you find somebody you do, and the best way to do that is to contact me. I can put you in touch with one of my trusted partners all across this country. Um, the One of the key ingredients to being a successful real estate agent, by the way, Pat, is networking within your industry, is finding people all across the country that you, as a fellow real estate agent, would trust. And, and that's where I'm at. So with that having been said, Pat, um, do you need the headline one more time? Yeah, one more time. That was that was a different one. For $100 of Dominic Izzo's legit money, the headline is, Neighborhood Facebook Group provides helpful warning that some teenagers are outside skateboarding. Is this the B or not the B? 
see, it, it's almost like they're saying teenager skateboarding is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go with the Babylon Bee. You are sharp as attack. Because it is the Babylon Bee. That is correct. Now, have you, are, are you part of any sort of neighborhood Facebook groups? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am. This is basically they might as well just call it whatever neighborhood Karen group because it is awful 90% of the time. It depends on what you live and what what your group is about. But yeah, that that that's definitely true. Just a neighborhood group. Just a regular like, you know, for instance, Boynton Park neighbors. Holy crap. Or Lakeview East neighbors. Oh my god. Shut up 90% of the time. <laughs> <clears throat> But Franklin, New Hampshire, the Swilton Creek Neighborhood Facebook group again demonstrated its usefulness by providing a helpful warning that some teenagers were outside skateboarding. This warning followed a post asking if anyone else's zucchini plants had failed to produce this summer and preceded a post reminding everyone to make sure that their trash can lids were completely closed because of the cats. Quote, just an FYI, there are some teenagers outside skateboarding around, read the post by at Loyola Gunderson. Her fourth post this week about events occurring outside her bay window. They even built a ramp, which seems unsafe. Who knows what could happen? Alert members of the Facebook group commented on the post in an effort to keep their neighborhood safe. At Britain Kyle Smith, skateboarding leads to drugs. Did you see any drugs? At Loyola Gunderson, I think I heard a swear. It sounded like Luke Hudson. At Laura Hudson. Laura Hudson, our family is out of town. It wasn't Luke. At Joan Matherly, I heard it too. Sounded a lot like Luke. At Laura Hudson, wasn't Luke. At John McIntyre, if anyone needs their lawn mode, my kids are fundraising for band. <laughs> Does this not sound exactly like what you see in a Facebook group for neighborhoods? Oh my God. This is, oh, oh, by the way, just... at Loyola Gunderson continues saying, make a new post about fundraising efforts, John. At John McIntyre, oh, sorry. I'm all thumbs with the Facebooks. <laughs> At publishing time, the skateboarding teenagers had grown in numbers and were now terrorizing the whole town with their kickflips. <laughs> kind of makes me want to go play uh, the old Tony Hawk Pro Skater video game now. Mm-hmm. Growing up with that as a kid. Yep. So, yeah. And with that, Pat, um, your uh, final truth or fiction. All righty. Truth both of short, by the way. Yeah, uh, truth or fiction. If Jesus were alive today, he would be on social media. Mm, 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 mm. Fiction. Interesting. Why? So I'm I'm tempt I was tempted to go with truth. Because on the one hand, isn't the goal to spread the message, right? Right. Right. But on the other hand, if you look internally at the history of the Bible, if you look internally at the teachings inside the New Testament and the gospel, right? Do you see somebody who um, preaches to the masses? Or do you see somebody who preaches to the message? And what do I mean by that? How many apostles were there? Just 12. Mm -hmm. There weren't 
12 million followers on Twitter and Facebook, right? His goal was not to become massive, right? His goal was not to become popular. His goal was the message. His goal was, I am the the fulfillment of the prophecy, right? I am the son of God. I am here to change the world. Now, on one hand, you can argue, do you change the world today if you aren't on social media? But was Jesus Christ preaching to hundreds of thousands of people? No. The most important messages that come from the Bible, the stories that we hear, right? It's a wedding, right? The the famous story of turning water into wine. A very small, intimate setting, right? It is the Good Samaritan story. It is all of the things that we hear in the Bible, all of the the stories that, that the New Testament tells us. They're small, they're intimate, they're teachable moments, right? They're all teachable moments. But he takes and moves his message in his movement, right? Not with popularity, with power of message. I think he would be the antithesis of social media. I think he would be the one who preaches to the small groups teaches us the message in person. Social media, he would just become another face in the crowd. Would people coalesce around him as a movement? Would Christianity exist if you were on social media? No, is my argument. No, it wouldn't. He created a movement based off of personal engagement, based off of what? If you want to break it down into salesman talk, right? What did he do? He used the power of influence. He garnered a group of VIPs. And those VIPs refer more people. And yes, he did grow larger and larger crowds over time. But he was preaching the antithesis of that day's society, right? He was preaching things that were very much heretical at that point in time, right? It is partly why the Jewish society, of which he is a part of, turned its back on him. I don't know if the, if our society today would take his message on social media. I think it has to be a personal thing. And it has to be small. It has to be intimate. It has to be something that grows. You don't get where, you know, to, to our point yesterday, right? We had talked about that, right? You do not get to the Christian church of today. You don't get to the different sects. You don't get to the evangelicals and all that stuff, right? All these people that that want to 
poo-poo Catholicism as not Christianity. Literally, you don't exist without. Right? And it doesn't happen. And, and the, that church doesn't happen without the church, meaning that small, very intimate group of people who are able to go out and then preach that message. I don't think he would be the one that's on social media. I really don't. I, I don't see the purpose that it would serve for him. Because his purpose was not popularity. His purpose was purpose. What say you? It's a, like I, I actually did not expect you to give that answer. And so I'm, I'm surprised. It, it's a very logical answer. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but this actually came from uh, a Daily Wire article about the, um, the Chosen Creator. Love uh, that show, by the way. Fantastic um, show. It, and he, he actually said that Jesus probably would have used social media. Now, there are things I disagree with, or, or things I agree with you on and things I disagree with you on with, with, with your statement. Um, I do think that he would use social media to a point. Um, now, the question of, of that is, is that point having his own account or is that other people using, uh, videoing a, a sermon that he would give and putting it on social media. I, I mean, could, could it be that? Potentially. Yeah, but, the, but that's not him. No, you're true. That, that, that's fair. And, but I, I, could see, I could see it going either way. So my, my thing is this. If Jesus were to use social media, Facebook and Twitter would definitely censor him. Oh, 100%. And, but, so I think the other point of this is, is his message was so radical mm. for that time, right? You have to look at it from that perspective. Right. Does, does it get served? Does, does it serve the purpose of furthering the purpose, right? No. No. And, and that's why ultimately at the end of the day, I don't know that he would be on social media. Just, just for the sake of... For the sake of that he would be censored. So what would be the point? Yeah, because he he becomes the ultimate martyr for Christianity. He gives his life for right. our sin, right? Right. What purpose would it serve to be the modern-day martyr, if you will, uh, on social media when he, he has a purpose to fulfill in the Scripture? Right. And that purpose is to to become the martyr of the church, to become not just a social media martyr. Yeah, I, I, that's the other part of this that, that was, that's interesting to me. Right. It's not a popularity contest. And, and that's, I mean, that's ultimately what, what people, a lot of people use social media for is to gain followers and popularity. Mm -hmm. Jesus would use it for something totally different. And because he would do that, he would totally be censored for it. So there, there would be no point. I, I, I don't see a, I don't see there being a point at the end of the day for him to use it. Yeah. Um, with that having been said, um, my final truth or fiction comes from the world of education. Of course it does. But um, it does. the learning loss of the pandemic that is so popular to talk about now, ironically, 
right? Now now they admit on the left that holy crap, people that we have a lost generation potentially, right? People people have lost a lot. But the learning loss of the pandemic actually reveals more about the school than it does about learning. Meaning the the loss is more revealing about what happens at school than anything to do with learning, truth or fiction. So, so just to clarify, you're saying the loss of learning has more to do with the school than it does with actual learning? Correct. Truth. Okay, why? Um... Well, and in this, I, I will also caveat this by saying I could see how this could vary from school to school. My my thing is it's going to depend on area, location, and then education policy of that particular area so or state. Um, I think if you were to take like Chicago for just, just for example, since you live there. <laughs> I think that's going to prove to be absolutely true because then you've had all this lockdown. You've had kids not in school. You've had them at home. You've had them online and then often unattended all day long. So then are they actually getting the education that they need? Are they actually getting the hands-on experience that they need? Are they getting the assistance from the teacher that they need and the attention from the teacher that they need? Whereas, in, and and the other question is too, is how many kids can afford the technology to be able to learn from home um, in, in those like greater city areas. Now, if you were to take Utah, for example, um, they were, you know, fairly, at least my wife's district was fairly successful with it. Um, now, does that mean that there wasn't a loss of learning? No, but I think they, they did all that they could to try to mitigate that as much as possible given that you know they had resources and the funds to be able to help support the kids within their district and, and give them the experience that they needed. There were some compromises that needed to be made, especially in my wife's class where it's very hands-on um, and because she couldn't require kids to have certain things in their pantry at home. She couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So she had to make exceptions to that rule. So yes, there. I would ultimately say truth. There is a loss of learning at varying degrees across the country, depending on mm. the area, the economics, the education policy of where you live. That is absolutely true. I would I would put this as um, true, but I would ask you a very simple question: What's the difference between learning and schooling? Most people don't know. Okay. I, I, I mean, I can give you what I would think. Yeah. Um, so learning is actually getting an education and, and learning about different concepts, uh, different ideas, so on and so forth. Whereas schooling is pushing uh, your uh, students or your children to a certain ideal. Okay. Yeah, so for me, learning is something that's authentic, number one, right. and, mm-hmm. re- and retainable, right? So how how you learn. So a great example of this, I, I'll put it in a relatable sense, right? 
why do you take personality tests? Why do you take um, different types of testing, if you will, in school? And, and I guarantee you, your wife will tell you this, right? You do it right. as a teacher, number one, to learn, to understand how people retain information, right? That is learning. Learning is retention of information in interaction with information um, with the physical world, however you want to put it, right? Schooling is the process. Schooling is simply the process. And we have an article from Intellectual Takeout that talks about this um, from Carrie McDonald. And she points out, uh, or he, I'm not totally sure if it's a guy or a girl. Cause Carrie could be. It, it's Carrie's a woman. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to assume because I know sure. men and women that, that spell. Yep. I've, I've actually, I've talked with her before. She's great. But she points out. The current hullabaloo over pandemic learning loss mirrors the well-worn narrative regarding the summer slide in which children allegedly lose knowledge over summer vacation. In 2017, I wrote an article for Boston's NPR stating that there's no such thing as the summer slide. Now, here's the point of schooling versus learning. Students may memorize and regurgitate information for a test or a teacher, but if it has no meaning, they quickly forget it. Come high school graduation, most of us have forgotten most of what we were supposed to have learned in school. Right? Well, that, that's 100% true. Yeah. Um, now, earlier the, or last week, um, economist Brian Kaplan wrote in the New York Times, quote, I figured that most of the learning students lost in Zoom school is learning that they would have lost by early adulthood, even if schools had remained open. My claim is not that in the long run, remote learning is almost as good as in-person learning. My claim is that in the long run, in-person learning is almost as bad as remote learning. Meaning we don't, we don't, this is why I talk about um, education needs to be about what, Pat? All the time, what do I talk about? It is teaching you how to think not what to think. Right. That's the difference between schooling and learning. Learning is understanding how to retain information, how to go about the process of gathering information and interpreting information and making decisions. That is the critical thinking process. I, I Honest to God, it was one of the most impactful yet boring subjects that I had to take when I did online learning was literally a class called critical thinking. And it made you sit there for 40 hours and have to dig in to understand how your brain works for you so that you understand how you best retain information. And I've talked about this all the time with, with friends, and I think I've talked about this on air in the past. In college, I had multiple friends taking the same class as me, right? I knew very early on how I retained information, thus learned things, and how I couldn't. And it is, it is as easy as how do you retain information? For me, the easiest way for me to retain information in a classroom setting 
was to actually take notes. To physically take the note down because how my brain engages and how I learn is through visualization, right? So if I'm hearing something and I just sit there, I'm not going to learn it. If I hear it and I'm writing about it, I retain it. And all I needed to do before a test was to take a quick glimpse through the notes and the memory, more of a photographic type of a memory, would trigger, right? My other friends would take six, eight, 10, 12 hours of studying before a major test, right? Nine times out of 10, I would end up outdoing them on that test. Why? Very simple. And I, I preached this to them. You don't understand how you retain information. You can study until your heart's content. You could go over every note, go over every practice test, go every this, that, and the other thing, right? But are you retaining the information? If you're not, you're going to not do well on that test. It's about retention of information, which is actual learning. So that's why, for me, if I dig into a subject, it's about that retention of information. And I was lucky enough to have teachers and uh, administrators and guidance counselors who gave a crap about that with me and other students uh, along the way in, in my educational experience. But today, that's not what an educator is about, right? That is not what the broad education industry is about. And it's why uh, his, Hillsdale College, it is why certain um, online homeschool apparatuses do better because they focus on how do you learn? Let me, let's figure that out first and then let's figure out the rest. She points out learning and schooling are completely different. Learning is something we humans do while schooling is something that is done to us, right? We need more learning, less schooling, but we see the solutions, right? We, we, we see the left, the teachers unions, all of the people that are supposed to care about education, supposed to care about learning, right? Doing everything to protect their industry and nothing to advance actual learning. My theory here and my thought is this. We have the, the fun students, not systems, right? Right. My problem with that, and I understand this, is that it doesn't go far enough for me. We have to, we have an education system that is completely broken because it is fundamentally broken. Why are people who, what, the loss of shop, why does it matter? The loss of the arts, why does it matter? It's because people actually learn how they learn in those types of classes. And for some people, it's physical, right? But then they don't then they don't understand how to apply that physical learning to the rest of their education. It could be as simple as physically writing it down on a note card, right? And then having some sort of physical interaction with that note card that helps them retain information. How does somebody know how to take apart? How can somebody take apart and put together a, a car engine, right? On a 65 Mustang, right? How can somebody do that, but they can't multiply or add? How? It is because they are engaged in understanding how that engine works, right? 
in how their brain works in retaining how the engine is put together and and taken apart. It's just that simple. We don't teach these things. If we did, we would have a society that is much, 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 much more engaged in learning. We would be better off. We would have many more people, many more females, many more males um, engaged in STEM. Engaged in data analysis. Because data analysis is what? Just how do you relate and interpret information? I, I look at the great example. What is the solution? And this happened to me. What was the solution to, to failing to trigger and understand complex math for me? That they thought it was more practice, more tutoring, more this, more that, more that. No, it wasn't. It was, I can't relate, I can't retain that formulaic stuff. It doesn't work. It doesn't compute for me. As many times as I write it down, as many times as I do that, and it's because that's not how my brain works. My brain works from a critical thinking philosophy. And if you look at how many subsections of the Asian cultures, right, how they learn math is more critical thinking than it is formulaic. Although the, the formulas are important, right? But it's they break it down into how do you critically think through the formula? That is how I would learn that best. But nobody teaches that in America. Common core math is not about retention. Common core math is about formula. I don't get common core math at all. But, it, but it, when I've seen a video of common core math next to how Asians would break down the same problem or how it's taught in Japan. Oh, that makes total sense to me. If I learned that way, I would have been totally smart at math. I'm not because I can't retain that information. And that's what we have here. We The solution is more tutoring, more this, more that, right? Pour more resources into the administration of schooling today. It's not about pouring it into how do we, how do we understand the learning of an individual? We have formulaic schooling not individualized learning. And the more closely we get to individualized learning as our goal as a society, the better off we are going to be. But the education system, the Marxism that exists in that system, it's not about the individual, it's about the collective, right? They, they cannot abide that. So that's why I talk about the fund students, not systems movement not being enough. You can't fund funding students only continues to further the same system. Whether it's private school or public school, it is the same. The only difference is what? Getting them out of the public education indoctrination system. What we need to do is indoctrinate our kids into individualized learning programs. The more that happens, the better off we're going to be. You have to treat education, learning, as an individual, authentic, deep connecting experience. And you can't do that when you're in a classroom with 40 kids, right? In a, in, or 50 kids in, in Chicago public schools. It's impossible to do that. You have to be formulaic. 
the really good teachers find one or two students that they can affect and, and do that with, right? But that's not enough. How do you break a cycle, right? How do you break it if you don't learn how to learn? Don't do it. We have damaged an entire generation of kids further. And then we continue to pile on to the problem. So I agree, fund students, not systems is step one. Getting the education dollar into the hands of the student is step one. It is step two that is most important, though. What do you do with that education dollar and does it impact your ability to learn? Right now, I don't know if that is the case. And with that, Pat, your final thoughts on today's show. Don't get lost. Remember who you are. No means no. And in a world where you can be anything, don't be a Debbie Downer like Andrew Coppins. Please be smart, be safe, be kind, Pat. And as always, Matthew 547. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.